0: We'll begin Romans chapter 9 and verse 1. So chapter 9, 10, and 11 of the book of Romans is a prophetic section in the book. So it's dealing with the future. Therefore, it applies to our study in the last things, the study of the end times that we're doing on Wednesday night. In chapter 9... Paul wrote about God's past choice of Israel to bring forth a savior. Notice in verse 1, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not; my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, Paul says, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. What a burden. Paul had. Paul said, I would be willing to go to hell if it meant the salvation of my people after the flesh, his own blood relation to the Jews. They were his people. Who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises. So all of those things pertain to Israel. Whose are the fathers? You know, Abraham, Isaac. Jacob and the 12 tribes, of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is overall, God blessed forever. Amen. And amen. Now what he's talking about is he's talking about God's past choice of Israel to bring forth the Messiah from, from his people. So back here, we, we would have Adam. That's about 4,004 BC. That number is taken from the genealogies in the Bible. As you add those up, you come back to 4004 B.C. for the creation of Adam. And then you come on up here. uh, Like right around here, we'll just do this. I I was watching Les Feldick the other day. He does the same things that I do. And I never learned from him. I learned from different teachers. But it's amazing how similar. And I saw him do this, and I thought, that's really smart. That's the next date he gives. Go about halfway in 2000 BC, and then guess who shows up there? That's our date for, for Abram. Now that's just a rough number, but it's easier to remember, rounded whole numbers. So God calls Abram out of Ur of the Chaldees. By this time, the whole world had sunken into idolatry. They were worshipping many gods, right? Right? And so God calls forth Abram out of idolatry. His dad was an idolater. That means that they worshipped and bowed down to images which represented their gods. And they had many gods. Gods for everything. Gods for the sun. Gods for the moon. Gods for fertility and production and so on. And gods for the rain. Um, gods of war. But they called, God called out Abram and he said, I want you to be separate and come away from your family, and just start moving, and I'm going to show you where I'm going to take you to, and I'm going to give you your own land. And from Abram, God would bring forth uh, people. And so what you have is, his name was changed to Abraham, of course. And from Abraham, the next Jewish father is, is who? Do you remember? Isaac. Abraham had his son Isaac... And then in Isaac, these promises were given that we're going to read about a little bit. And then Isaac's son, do you remember his name? Jacob. Yeah. And then from Jacob, you had all the 12 tribes. So if, if I could have room, I would write maybe 12 down here. 12 tribes. But from those 12 tribes come the family of David, King David, Right? So right up around in here, you can just roughly just call it 1000 BC, you have David. And from, so the promises are given to David, covenant promises. And from David's family will come the Messiah. The Messiah is the Lord Jesus Christ. So as pertaining to the flesh, the Messiah came from, you know, the fathers Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, 12 tribes. One of those families was the Davidic family, and the, the Davidic covenant uh, pertains to the Messiah, and Jesus Christ will fulfill that. He will be a king who will reign, because David was promised that somebody from his family would reign on a throne forever and ever. And uh, this, this marking back here is the flood. That's about 400 years before Abraham. Yeah, and the Tower of Babel shortly after that. And and that's where all of those different world religions come from and all the paganism. It all started right there. So the purpose for Abraham and his descendants uh, is really, there's two major purposes. One is that they were to be the witness to the one true God in a world that was really polytheistic, or served many gods. So they were going to be the witness of the one true God, and they were supposed to bring forth the Messiah. That's what Paul was talking about there. So that's Israel's past dealt with in chapter 9. Okay, now in chapter 10, Israel's present rejection of God's provision. What's God's provision? The Messiah the promises, um, the kingdom. Israel rejected that when their Messiah showed up, and they're still rejecting God's provision. So we'll just read just briefly, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. My, Paul had a burden for his people, but a burden does not constitute a call. He was not called to his own people. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. What's that talking about? Well, verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. That's what all sinners today need to hear. Righteousness does not come by keeping the law or keeping any set of rules or any religious practice. Righteousness comes by faith of Jesus Christ. And so he puts his righteousness on us, as I've talked about so many times. They rejected God's provision for them, this righteousness that comes by faith. That's their current State Uh, uh, Romans chapter 10. This is a quote from Israel Today, November 11th, 2022. And in this publication, they surveyed Jewish people in the land of Israel, and then they published their findings. They found out this, quote, Only 16% of those who responded to the survey see Jesus in a positive light. Now that's people in the land, in Israel. Only 16%. Isn't it sad? That's what they think of Jesus today. Um, of, of those that were polled, 36% were not even interested to even answer the questions. 25% had no opinion. So that means what they were saying is about 50% of The population in Israel, in the land today, is basically secular. They just don't care about religion or anything like that, the Bible. But the 16% positive, they are secular. They're non-religious Jews. And they see Jesus from like a social moral view. So they're positive because they think he did good social things. Social change happens because of his teachings. And they liked his morals so, but they, they would not see him from a theological view. In other words, they do not believe, even the 16% that are positive, they do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay. God, God has not yes, that's right. That for yep. So, chapter 9 was their past. Why, why did God, you know, why did he ordain the nation of Israel? Chapter 10 is their present rejection. But, chapter 11... That's where you're getting that. So chapter 11, Paul is revealing God's future plans for Israel. God is not done with His chosen people, the Old Testament, the nation of Israel. God is merciful. If anything shows us that God is merciful, the story of Israel and their history shows us that God is a promise-keeping, merciful God. Yep, keep your eye. They are the apple of his eye. Just like Lucas, he's he's the apple of my eye. I'm always watching him. I just adore him. I want to protect him. I mean, I, my, I think about him all the time, every day. I start my day with him. I end my day with him. He's the apple of my eye. That's Israel for the father. I don't know. I don't know what kind of parent I'll be. Will I be the kind of parent that cries? Or will we go like, we we'll celebrate and go out for Mexican. I don't know what we'll do. No, it's, it's going to be sad. It's going to be sad for sure. Yeah, yeah, I thought about that. So, so Paul reveals God's future plans for Israel. So just a few statements before we look at the chapter. God is not done with the Jews. The church does not replace Israel. Okay, um, We're going to learn in this chapter that they are Israel and the church have always been separate. Always have been, always will be. Um, and if you could be convinced at this one point of what I'm talking about tonight, that they're different, they're distinct, they're separate, it would keep you and me from getting messed up in the Bible and getting our Bible all mixed up. So Israel, as a separate people, will one day be the head of the nations. and that's something? This world will be ruled by a Jewish government with a Jewish king King Jesus from Israel, from Jerusalem. So Israel will be restored, and they will realize the Old Testament promises given to David. So let's start in chapter 1 and kind of look at this in a little bit more detail, and we'll just go as as far as what we can. But of course, you're always welcome for comments to stop. If you have a thought, it's okay. Um, It's okay just to kind of break right in. So verse 1, chapter 11. Yep, this is dealing with Israel's future. And the subject for night for tonight is the mystery of the restoration of Israel. Um, Chapter one uh, chapter eleven verse one. I say then hath God cast away his people? Now the answer to that question is a resounding no. Not completely, not finally. It's a temporary blindness that Israel is under right now. But the answer is, God forbid. No. For I also am an Israelite, you see, of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, one of those twelve tribes, Benjamin. So Paul is saying, look, God has not cast away his people altogether because I'm a Jew and I got saved. Not only that, there were other Jews during Paul's day, they got saved too. So, what you find is that there's always been a remnant. A remnant is like a smaller group, uh, and then you have a greater whole that is unbelieving, but within the greater whole of Israel, the the national people, the blood line of Israel, within that nation, you have a smaller group that is a believing group, and they're called a remnant. Yes. So you have a remnant in the Old Testament of believing Israel. The Old Testament would be over here. You, you had a remnant, and you still have a remnant today, in the church age of believing Jews. Have you ever known like a Jews for Jesus or Messianic Jews? You know. So today there's a remnant of believing Jews, and in the tribulation there will be a greater remnant during that time. And then there will even be a remnant during the millennium. So... Um, God will take that remnant and he'll use the, the remnant that survives from the tribulation and those who are resurrected, who had died during the tribulation, he'll take them and he'll start the nation of Israel all over and it will expand greatly. So, Paul is proof. Okay, And then, but check out Isaiah. Keep your place there and look at Isaiah 59. Best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. Isaiah 59. And I'll give you time to, to make it there. Verse 20. So in Isaiah 59 and then verse 20 and 21 is what I'm after. So this prophecy here is saying that the Redeemer, capital R, so that's talking about Jesus, shall come to, did I say Bethlehem? Nope. Zion. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't it? Because here, well, let's use blue. Here, 30 years before the cross, he came to Bethlehem. That's the first advent. Now it's saying he's going to come to Zion. That's the second advent. That's where he touches down on the Mount Olives, Mount Olivet, and then comes over into the city of David and sets up his throne, and he rules there from the Temple Mount, I suppose. But it's not for certain it would be the Temple Mount, but somewhere around there. So he comes to Zion. That's the second advent, second coming. And it says... Unto them to that, that turn from transgression, in Jacob saith the Lord. As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit that is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth, shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor out of the mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed's seed, saith the Lord. From henceforth and forever. Now that's future. See, this is Israel's future. That's not the case today. You only have 16% that's even favorable towards Jesus, and you have about 50% of the population that doesn't even read their Torah, their, their Old Testament Bible. But he's saying, my words won't even depart out of your mouth forever. This is future. It's going to happen when he comes back. So God's not done with the Jews. All right. Back in Romans chapter 11 then, and uh, we'll keep reading in verse 2. These prophecies will be fulfilled. And when will they be fulfilled? Well, when he comes back to Mount Zion, sets up his kingdom, establishes that, and then his people are changed. Their hearts are changed. The stony hearts taken out, they're given a heart of flesh. Um, Now in verse 2 God hath not cast away his people which he foreknew. What ye not what the scripture saith of Elias, which is Elijah. How he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, "Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life." Now I say this respectfully, but just so you understand what's going on. Remember Elijah? He was kind of having having a pity party. Remember that by the brook Cherith, and he was kind of like you know had the puchi lip disease, and he was feeling like he was the only one who was serving God. You know, nobody else wants to serve God. And God said, Elijah, you're not the only one. I got seven thousand that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. What what was that? That was the remnant. That's part of the remnant in believing Israel in the Old Testament. And so um, and then verse four For what saith the answer of God unto him, I've reserved to myself seven thousand men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal in verse five. Even so then, at this present time also, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. So there was a remnant in the past. There, there is one, Paul said, present. This is about 64 AD or so on. And So he says, right now at the present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now that's a remnant of Jews in the church age. Okay, And there will be a remnant, as we've said, in the great tribulation. All right, verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no more of works. Just a great statement about grace. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Now, I just can't leave that verse without saying something. It's so clear. Grace and works do not mix. They're like oil and water. Somebody says, I think we're saved by faith plus works. No. That's so clear. No, it's purely of grace. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of works. It's so clear. And yet you have, uh, excuse me again, I'm not trying to pick on anybody, but I listened to Catholic apologists for several years while I was delivering packages for FedEx, and just to learn about them from their own mouths, And they will say, point blank, that you people who believe in John 3.16 theology on the gospel, that you are simple-minded. And that if you had a more sophisticated understanding of the scriptures, you would understand that it is faith, and this is how they say it exactly. I'm not slandering anyone. They say it's faith plus works. That's what they say. The Catholic apologist, Trent Horn, is uh, the person that I could mention to you. That's what they say, that's what they believe. And listen, if you don't believe that, you are cursed by their counsels. You are anathema. Where do they get that from? Uh from the devil. Yeah, from the devil. Satan's playground is religion. Yep. Yeah. And uh and they yeah. And it's I know, but that's what they say, Council of Nicaea, you know, it's Council of Trent, we're cursed, according to them. Yeah. And when they realized how rotten Uh, how rotten their whole system was, then they created purgatory, which is supposed to purge out your remaining sins that you couldn't take care of through penance and so on. But you're one hundred percent faith, period. -hmm. Yes, and that is always a good point, and that needs to be emphasized. And if you are saved, then you are saved to do good works. So you're not just saved to live any old way you want to. And you should have works to show for. There should be some change in your life if you're truly saved. Right. You're still saved. You yeah, want me back Yes, yeah. Grace is not get out of jail Right. And it's not, it's not a license to sin, And it's not a get out of jail free card, and it doesn't mean that you can just pray this prayer and then live like the devil, you know. But what it does mean is that works has absolutely nothing to do with your salvation, except that it is an evidence, you know. If a person is saved, they're going to love the Bible, they're going to love learning, you know, and being around God's people. Um, They might go through prodigal seasons in their life, yeah. But there should have been some change somewhere, right? So, Clear, they are not compatible. Paul said, if you try to get it by works, then you're not going to be a partaker of this grace. It's no more, no more grace. All right, I'll move on. Um, Verse 7. Now, this is a blessing here. What then? Israel hath not obtained that which he seeketh for. What were they trying to obtain? Well, we read it in chapter 10, the righteousness. They wanted to be right with God. But the election, the believing people, believing Jews, believing Gentiles, the election hath obtained it, and the rest were blinded. There's a blessing, and there's a blinding. Isn't that something? You say, what's the difference? Well, Paul explains in verse 8, see how it's in parentheses? It's going to give you an explanation. It's like the Holy Spirit's own commentary on, on what was being taught. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber. Who's that? The unbelieving Jews. Spirit of slumber. Eyes that they should not see. Ears that they should not hear. Unto this day. That's Jews in the Old Testament unbelieving, Jews in, in the church age unbelieving. God works according to, notice it says according in verse 8, God works according to your own reaction to the truth. So depending on how you respond when you receive the truth, God will deal with you accordingly. And God knows how we will react before we ever do by his foreknowledge. And so if, if you reject truth, then God will give you darkness. Light rejected is darkness. A blinding. Now, is it a blinding and a, a dullness of hearing? Uh, is it like it can never be reversed? No, um, I don't think it's permanent, because later on they could believe. But what happens is that as a person rejects it, then God Blinds them. And what you have today is you have the blindness of Israel. In, in Israel, in the land. You go there and you preach Jesus, and, they, and many will not believe. Most will not believe. They won't receive it. Blinded to it. They won't hear it. Just like that thing said, even if you try to talk to them, like 30 some percent, what did it say? 36 uh, percent not interested. Even if you tried to tell them, they would say, get that rubbish away from me. And what you have in Israel today is you have persecution against Christians. Just read a report about that or heard a news report about it. That there are students in Israel, kids, spitting from balconies on, on Christian uh, tourists and tourist groups. Spitting on them. Calling them names. And when you ask where, you, where they got that from, they learned it in school. They're taught that in school. They're taught to discriminate against Christians. So you go over to Israel today and you might get spit on. But guess what? What? Jesus was spit on, wasn't he? Remember they spit on him? It's so sad, but you see, now that could make you mad at Israel, right? Mad at the Jews, but we're not supposed to be mad at them. We're supposed to bless Israel and love them. And if we bless them, God will bless our country. That's why we support a missionary to Israel. And we keep preaching gospel, and some will get saved, because there will be a remnant even in the church age. Alright? Then uh, let's look at verse 9. David saith... Let their table be made a snare. This is called a precatory prayer. He's praying that God would judge his enemies, and a trap, and a stumbling block, and a recompense. Pay him back for for being so wicked towards God's people. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their back always. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. You see, God's not done with the Jews. But rather, through their fall, salvation is come unto the Gentiles, for to provoke them to jealousy. Now let me just read one more verse, and we'll look at a couple of verses that will explain that. Now if the fall of them... You say, what's the fall? That's Israel rejecting God. Rejecting the righteousness that comes by faith in Jesus Christ. They rejected their Messiah, then they rejected the apostolic preaching of the gospel. They rejected Paul. He always went into the synagogues and preached the gospel. Rejection, rejection, rejection. So what happens? They fell. God blinded them. But, as a result of their unbelief, God turns to the Gentiles with a wonderful gospel of the grace of God, and we get in free, man. Just full salvation, full forgiveness... Uh, by the grace of God, God is just letting in the Gentiles. God just threw the doors open and just said, Come on in, all who believe in Jesus as a payment for their sins. And by that simple, childlike faith. You know, obviously, repentance and faith. We preach that here. You just threw the doors open for the Gentiles. So, their rejection is our blessing. It's the riches of the Gentiles, he says there. But, in the, but then he says this, But how much more... Their fullness. Now, I know this is kind of tedious tonight, but it's important. And it's one of the seven mysteries, actually, that I'm charged to be a steward of and to preach as a New Testament preacher. What's their fullness? What does that mean? In the tribulation period, when God turns back to the Jews, 144,000 Jewish preachers are going to go all over the world preaching the gospel of the kingdom. I believe it's, it's, it's at least possible. I believe that there will be a greater number saved of Gentiles and of Jews, certainly, out of the tribulation. Now, in the tribulation period, still only a remnant compared to all the other Jews. Only a remnant is saved, but a great number. We've read about it a couple of times in Revelation. And a great host, it says, which no man can number of Gentiles getting saved. So the The gospel of the kingdom will go all over the world, and that will happen when God turns back to the Jews. So when they, uh, as as they, uh, when their fullness, when they're in their own fullness, the fullness of Israel, um, the 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 reverse of what's going on now in the church age, then it'll still be a great blessing. It'll be the riches of the Gentiles. Now, I want you to see this back in Acts. So, yes, yes, go for it. Yes, if they die in unbelief, yes. Sure will be, yes, that's right. And uh, it's sad, isn't it? That's why I say, how many times have you ever heard a preacher preach, Behold the goodness and the severity of God? How many times have you ever heard? I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon on the goodness and the severity of God. G- the Jews said when they, you know, the, it was the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders that led the, uh, you know, the, the, well, basically that led Rome to crucify Jesus, even though the Jews did it by proxy and all that. But it was the Jewish religious leaders who did it, and they had the whole crowd screaming out, uh, his blood be upon us and upon our children. Well, guess what happens for 2,000 years of the church age? his blood was upon them and upon their children they've had to pay dearly for rejecting their savior that's the goodness and the severity of god it's awful i know and if you think for a minute that i can comprehend that i don't i just know it's true so i don't totally comprehend that but they are not his children like the unbelieving israel they're not his children if you would study, if you just read these three chapters, you'd read it in there somewhere. I, I saw it. They're not his children. Only the remnant, those who are the remnant by faith, they are his children. The others, Jesus said, you have your father, the devil. So it's sad, but they are. And John said, First John, that they're antichrist. He said that of his own people. And if you don't believe that the father has a son, uh, therefore a Muslim and a Jew is antichrist. And in this country... Um, the Muslims, they say, is one of the fastest growing religions in America right now, which is incredible. But uh, they're here, so we can witness to them, so that's good. All right, so in Acts chapter 9, we're going to run three or four references in Acts so you can just see everything that I've said, that um, you can see it, that that's the, what the Bible says. Because you should say, when I say something, you should say, Preacher, you got book, chapter, and verse for that. You know, that's what you should say you got to test everything that you hear by the Bible. So here's book, chapter, and verse. Acts, chapter 9, verse 15. And it says here, But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he, Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles. That's everybody in the world but the Jews. That's the nations of the world. The Jews are not numbered among the nations. Uh, so Paul is is called by God to go to the Gentiles. Kings and the children of Israel, it says, because he always went to the Jew first, but that was temporary. You say, how do you know that? Okay, Three times in the book of Acts. We're going to look at the first one. The first one is in chapter 13. There is a transition in the book of Acts, in chapter 13 and verse 46. Um, and what happens is, The Jews are rejecting the gospel. God is extending mercy. Even though they crucified their Messiah, He's still giving them a chance to get saved at the beginning of the church age. But they were rejecting it. And so God turns away from the Jews and turns to the Gentiles. And then blinds the Jews during the church age, but they'll be restored in the tribulation. So, chapter 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary... They're really going to lambaste the Jews. It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye, the Jews, put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. That's the first time that it says that in the book of Acts. The second time is chapter 18. Chapter 18. So Paul did go to the Jews at first. That was his burden, but it wasn't his calling. Chapter 18 verse six. And in chapter 18 verse six, we, we read here. And um, when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment and said unto them, "That's Paul, your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean." I did my part, I preached the gospel to you, and I'm tired of taking a beating for it. He might have been thinking, but he didn't say it. But from henceforth, I will go unto the Gentiles. So that's Paul turning away in Europe from the Jews, and he's led by the Holy Spirit to do it. And then chapter 28, the last one in chapter 28, verse 25. You see what's happening is God is dealing with them based on what they do with the truth. Chapter 28... Verse 25 and uh, verse 26. But notice up in verse 24, we'll read that. And some believed the things which were spoken that Paul was preaching to. He's preaching the gospel there in, in Rome. Some believed, some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken them one word. What was the word that he spoke? Does anybody know? The one word. It was huh? Jesus. Well yeah, that's that that's a good that's a good uh answer. Absolutely. But he dropped the bomb, he said Gentile. And that's that was like dropping a bomb. It was such a charged uh every, time, every time he goes into the first place all to the temple. Yes. Yep. Every time. Because he he said the gospel is supposed to go to the Jew first and then also also to the Greek. Yep. So um, Paul spoke at one word, Well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah the prophet unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall not hear. Uh Uh-oh. That's that blinding and dullness of hearing. And shall not understand, and seeing ye shall not see, and Perceive, For the heart of this people is waxed or grown gross, and their ears are dull of hearing. Their eyes have they closed. You see, if you close your eyes, God will close your eyes. It's, that, it's how He works. It's depending on how we respond to the truth. If you say, I don't, want to, I don't want to see it, I don't want to see it. Well, eventually God will blind you. Lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, And understand of their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Be it known therefore unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles. And they shall what? Hear Hear it. So that means, folks, that when we go and we put door hangers up in, in Racine and Syracuse and wherever else we can go to, that means some will hear it. We've got to go in faith believing that. Some will hear it. Some will want to come, want to sit under the sound of the word of God. Alright, we'll look at one more verse and then we'll just stop, just so you can see it. This was Paul's office. It was his calling. He had a great burden for the Jews, but his calling was to the Gentiles. Galatians chapter 2, and we'll, we'll stop here. Chapter 2, verse 7. So a burden does not constitute a call. I have a great burden for, um, for foster children and the trouble that children are in in that system. I do. But it's not my calling. It's not... Beth's calling. Our calling is to adopt. We're foster adoptive parents. If a woman goes to a pregnancy center and she says, I don't want to abort my baby, but I don't think I can raise it. What they do is they say, you need to rethink that. That's a big decision. You should raise your baby. They try to talk them into doing that. If they say, no, there's no way I can do it. I can't. Then they'll take them to the house of Samuel. That's the ministry that we are partnering with. And they try to talk them into raising their own baby. But if not, they show them the families. And they know that we that we do this now, and they know that we do not do fostering. And we're not going to do that again, except for temporary, like weekend stays, something like that. But um, that's our calling. That's our calling. God called us to do that. And we knew it. He called us from the Bible, from our Bible reading, and so on. so... Uh, Paul's calling was to the Gentiles, Galatians 2. But he said he was even willing to be accursed. What a burden. He would be lost and go to hell if it meant his people could get saved. But of course, there's only one person's sacrifice that can save anybody, and that's Jesus, not not the Apostle Paul. So Galatians 2, verse 7 says this, But contrarywise, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me. Now, uncircumcision means Gentile. As the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter. You see, Peter stayed put in Jerusalem. Now, it's not two gospels. It's just saying two callings. Gospel ministry for Peter was Jewish. Gospel ministry for Paul was Gentile. There's an important aspect to that. That means, if you want to get your Bible straight... Don't be trying to take doctrinal things from either the Gospels or Jesus was teaching the Jews. Uh, a lot of that, a lot of that, it doesn't mean all of it, but a lot of it was pointed specifically at those people. And watch out for Peter. Because Peter, Paul had to set him straight. We'll study it eventually. Paul had to set him straight. And uh, it's, it's, I'm telling you, it's just, there's more to it. Like Acts 2.38, if you think that that's the plan of salvation, listen, that's Peter's preaching to the Jews. Peter didn't even understand the atonement at that time. He didn't say anything about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for sins. That's Jewish. And yet you have people all over this world who think Acts 2.38 is the plan of salvation, and baptism will save them. You see? I'm telling you. If you keep them separate, it'll keep you from getting all mixed up in the Bible. Where's our plan of salvation? Because it's not Acts 2.38. Where's our plan of salvation? Anybody know before we close? I'm having a good time tonight. When I have a good time, then we go over. Mm -hmm. Or else when it's going really bad and I just can't land the plane. (laughs) Um, Somebody said it? Romans Romans 10, 10, yeah. Yep. Romans 10, 10, 9 and 10. And 13, that's our plan of salvation. And that's explaining 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. That's the gospel that Paul preached. Alright, was that good? interesting. We're going we're gonna to study next time what happens to the Jews actually in the tribulation period. Lord willing we'll study that. Our God and Father thank you Lord uh, for folks that are here that are hungry for the word of God and Lord that's not because of me. That's because of the way that you're working in their hearts and their lives and it's just a thrill. Uh, it's just so exciting to study the Bible together. And I thank you for it and Lord what a privilege it is. Um, and we are kept by your grace Lord and I just want to make sure that I say tonight that I know it's not of anything that was in me, um, but that it's all because of what Christ has done for me, that I'm saved and that I'm called to preach and, and given this, this, this high calling and this privilege to, to, to live with your people in this way. And I, I just thank you for it, Lord. And I just, I, Jesus is worthy. He alone is worthy of all glory, honor, and power. Amen.